good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces. Welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today we're continuing our series on science and God the Creator. And in this session, we'll see how globalism is impacting national sovereignty and how that particular ideology is flawed when not under God. Our first scripture will be Genesis 1, 26 and 28. And as usual, we'll have several other scriptures that we'll reference and read today, and we'll put those in the overview section. So, with the concerns of globalism as our primary backdrop, let's just dig right in. Right, Randy. The current event, which has been going on for some time, as we will see, our podcasts are about current events, but there are those current events that just keep occurring. (laughs) So they're always current. Nations must unite in a global government with transnational priorities. How long, as the old song says, has this been going on? Let's take a look. I have these in chronological order. H.G. Wells, and I've enjoyed some of his books made in the films, such as uh, The Time Machine, War of the Worlds. Here's what he says in his book entitled The New World Order, and we'll look at that phrase, New World Order, in just a moment. This is from 1939 in that book. He says, when the struggle seems to be drifting definitely towards a world social democracy, there may still be very great delays and disappointments before it becomes an efficient and beneficent world system. Countless people will hate the new world order and will die protesting against it. When we attempt to evaluate its promise, we have to bear in mind the distress of a generation or so of malcontents many of them quite gallant and graceful-looking people. That's H.G. Wells, people. That sounds like a, that's a, that's a prophet. That's not a sci-fi. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Here is a quote moving up the chronological decades to 1947. Uh, this is a quote from Julian Huxley. He was the first head of UNESCO, United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. He was an evolutionary biologist and, no surprise, internationalist, which is, in my opinion, another word for globalist. He says, and of course this is with the UN that he headed up UNESCO, the task before UNESCO is to help the emergence of a single world culture with its own philosophy and background of ideas and with its own broad purposes. And so that's the current event. What is the Christian expectation? It is this, nations will stay nations from Genesis into the next age, and Randy's going to give us some scriptures here, that will be obvious. Let's start with, again, this is about God the Creator and what He did in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26-28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. Okay, that's the beginning of God's global experiment with the human race, and they were to go forth and literally be global with uh, their progeny and with their taking sovereignty over the entire earth. Now we move ahead to... uh, Matthew 25, and Randy's going to be read verses that Jesus is speaking concerning his return to earth, what we call the second coming. And once again, you'll notice when he returns, there are still nations. We've not become global. 
Matthew 25, 31 through 32. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. Okay, so there judgment is coming, of course, for some, not for others. But once again, Jesus returns and he separates nations, but they are nations. It's not a global phenomenon. And then, of course, we get to the new heaven and new earth, all the way into the last book of the Bible, to the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, Revelation 22, just the first couple of verses. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And that's a great topic, the healing of the nations, but we don't have time for that now. But notice, here we are. We've gone from Genesis, from the beginning of time, to Revelation, Mm -hmm. and we have nations all through that whole chronological period of literally millennia. Age to age. Age to age. So, question, where do nations come from? Because originally... As God created Adam and Eve, they spoke one language. That would have been carried on from generation on generation generation, and was for a while, as we will see. If you recall from our previous podcast about population, in Genesis 9, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So that's God's take on globalism. All right, but what happened? How did we get nations? Randy's going to read a couple of verses from chapter 10 and Genesis 11. So listen to this. Genesis 10 verse 1 says, These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. And Genesis 10:32 says, These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, in their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. So we have... The nations, the subject thereof, coming up for the first time, question, where do they come from? And now we go to, actually, chronologically, the explanation for that, which would have preceded Genesis 10, but the author, or whoever put Genesis together, perhaps Moses, is interested in making us understand there are the nations, and that's not a good thing, because here's what happened with globalism when sin took over. Genesis 11, 1 through Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. All right, so the descendants of Noah through the three sons have grown considerably. They are one global grouping. The whole earth at that time had one language and the same words, so it's very emphatic. There were not umpteen different languages, just one. What was it? I'm not sure. Maybe Hebrew, maybe not. doesn't matter. People migrated from the east And uh, other translations have, they moved eastward, which is probably more correct. The Hebrew word's a little difficult, but in the Bible, going east in Genesis is a bad move. 
Adam and Eve were thrown out east way from the garden, and God posted some cherubim on the eastern side to guard the tree of life. Cain left the presence of God and went to live eastward from, from Eden, went out to the land of Nod eastward from Eden, leaving that area. And then we have Lot in Genesis 13, when he gets to choose the land, Abraham says, here's the land, choose it. He chooses his land and travels east to take control of it. Mm-hmm. So moving east is bad. Moving west is good. So moving east is one of those signs in the Bible, don't go that direction. So No offense to our listeners on the east coast. No, 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 no offense, none, none whatsoever. Uh, in Romans 121, Paul says, when the whole world knew God, they failed to give him honor and to thank God and became foolish and darkened in their minds. And that is reference, as most commentators say, and I also believe it, to this event here when they knew who God was and they chose to do something on their own to become divine in a sense on their own, mm. right here with what's going to be called the Tower of Babel. They wanted a name for themselves, lest they be scattered. Well, they were told to scatter. That's what God told Noah and his sons. Go over the entire earth now, fill up, multiply. But they want to stay together mm. powerfully as one group, which is what globalists today want. And pridefully. And pridefully so, yes. Yeah. Yes. So... Here's some more quotes. Take a look at this. This is from George Herbert Walker Bush, September the 11th, 1990, and then in 19, uh, September uh, 11th, 1991. He repeated himself, apparently. The world can therefore seize the opportunity, this is about the Persian Gulf crisis, to fulfill the long-held promise of a new world order where diverse nations are drawn together in common cause to achieve the universal aspirations of mankind. So there you have, again, a movement toward globalism. And the word that is used is this new world order. So let's take a look at that. This is from the Wikipedia. Again, these sources must be vetted, but here's what it says. The new world order is a conspiracy theory which hypothesizes a secretly emerging totalitarian world government. The common theme in conspiracy theories about a new world order is that it's a secretive power with elite globalist agenda, and is conspiring to eventually rule the world through an authoritarian one-world government, which will replace sovereign nation-states. Mm. Now, as will be clear in a little bit from a couple more quotes, that's not a conspiracy. I mean, they, they talk about it openly. People want this. They're talking about it today. They want a one-world government. They want globalism. Globalism should rule, as we will see. The conspiracy has become reality, and I, openly. Openly so, yeah. Exactly. So let's take a look now at Genesis 11, verses 5 through 7, and see what happens now. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. First of all, let us notice the, the mercies of God in judgment. He had told Noah, going back a couple of podcasts, Genesis 8, that um, he'd never again flood the earth with a world judgment. But here is coming a judgment, but he's not going to, he's true to his promise, he doesn't flood the world, but he does give the world a judgment by confusing them with different languages. So God keeps his promise but he still is the judge, and he's wiser than everybody, so he knows how to make judgments 
that even fit promises that he has previously made. So what happens is that he says, talking to himself, having this divine counsel, uh, they uh, have one language and people, and it's the beginning of what they'll do, and nothing they propose will be impossible for them, meaning in terms of rebellion against God. How far will this rebellion go? He's going to nip it in the bud. Mm. And so that is what he does. Notice they wanted to build a, a tower and a city going up into the heavens. In other words, exaltation of man. Make a name for ourselves instead of doing what they should have done in the name of God that he commanded them to do back with, uh, with Noah. And so God comes down. Interesting enough, they're building a city and a tower trying to reach heaven, which is what man is always <laughs> trying to do. In the Bible, God always comes down in judgment and many times in grace. And in Revelation, we'll finally see God's city come down. Mm. Man cannot build that city because when he does, he takes on divine prerogatives and thinks he's some kind of God himself. So what happens to all of this? Let's take a look at verses uh, 8 and 9. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And so God's command does get fulfilled. Mm -hmm. But of course, it's a setback for the human race because they left God and became idolatrous. There's a play on words here. Uh, the word uh, Babel, which is Bay, Babel, gate of God is what it means, or gate of the gods, depending on context, sounds a lot like Baal, which is the Hebrew word for confusion. Mm -hmm. So it's a play on words. That which was going to be their gate to God, which God was totally against, so they're wrong, uh, becomes, in fact, their place of confusion. And so this is how the languages of the world came about, because all languages, as we know, are connected with various nations. Mm -hmm. And so this is how nations came about. Book of Acts, chapter 17, Paul is preaching to the uh, philosophical, philosophical intellectuals there in uh, Athens, and he makes this point about how nations came to pass because na uh, Athens considered themselves superior as, as a group, as a nation, to others, and of course they were not. Here is what Paul says about God's plan for nations in this life we live. Acts 17, 26, and 27. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Exactly. That's very clear and straightforward. He arranges the rise and fall of nations, where they will be bordered and how long they will exist. And its purposes in all of this is that they might seek him out. They might see the providence of God in all of this, nonetheless, people guided by their idolatry want to move toward globalism. Uh, let's take a look at a man named Mr. Talbot. He was President Clinton's Deputy Secretary of State. And this is from a quote in Time Magazine back in 1992 on July 20th issue. He says the following, In the next century, which of course he's in the 20th, so that would That's be where now. we are now, 21st yeah. century, in the next century, nations as we know it will be obsolete. All states will recognize a single global authority. National sovereignty 
wasn't such a great idea after all. <laughs> and yet, it hasn't happened. It's not going to happen because the whole problem that globalism is supposed to solve was started by globalism. That's how we got nations. Gl globalists wanted to run the world and didn't need God's help, didn't want to follow his directions. And so we ended up with nations. And so God now works through nations, as we will see, to bring about eventually the globalism that he has ordained from the beginning. So nations were created to solve globalism. What are nations to do now these days? Let's take a look at Psalms, which has a lot to say about nations and their need to worship God as the people of Israel call upon the nations to do the following things. Here are some verses from Psalm 96. Psalm 96, 1 through 3, says, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. And Psalm 96.10 says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. He will judge the peoples, the nations. And so those verses are very straightforward. Nations are to come to worship God, called to worship uh, by Israel, proclaiming the sovereignty and the kingdom of God to the people. And so it goes throughout a lot of places outside of Psalms as well as in the prophets. So here's another passage. Let's take a look at Psalm 33, 8, and 9. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Nations are called to worship the Creator God because he has created them, not just as individual peoples in an act of creation, procreation, but as nations they exist because he has ordained it so, and yet they are required to give the glory to God. And that is not happening, except it will come to pass eventually, as we'll see. Even now, God works among nations to make sure his plans continue through the ages. So let's take a look at that same Psalm 33, verses 10 through 12. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Exactly. That last reference is primarily, of course, to Israel. But once again, nations conspire to do this and that under uh, unfortunate, ungodly leadership, and God frustrates those plans time and time again. God is about restoring globalism His way. And so with the advent of Jesus, His ministry, then of course, death, resurrection, the resurrected Christ gives the church these directions concerning God's globalism, continuing with just individual nations and how they're to be dealt with. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's pretty clear. Go forth and deal with the nations, baptize nations, bring them to the uh, obedience of Christ. Here is Mr. Uh, Obama, our last president, before Mr. Trump, 
says this in November 16th speech at Athens, Greece. We are going to have to guard against a rise in a crude sort of nationalism or ethnic identity or tribalism that is built around us and them. And I will never apologize for saying that the future of humanity and the future of the world is going to be defined by what we have in common as opposed to those things that separate us and ultimately lead us into conflict. Of course, what we have in common, unfortunately, is our ungodliness and righteousness and things along that line. So, yeah, And the greed and wanting to rule over each other, which is still going to be there, which causes there to be a separation of man to begin with. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. So this is God's new world order, the church, which is comprised of individuals from many nations, nations united under one God. At Pentecost, we see a beginning of moving back uh, to restoration times, which will come when Jesus returns. So let's take a look at that great act of Pentecost, what happens when the Holy Spirit descends on the church that was to go to the many nations, all of whom have their own tribes and their own cultures and their own languages. In Acts 2, verses 5 through 11. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, who hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Okay, so they had people of all kinds of languages gathered there for the celebrations, of course, Holy Days, Passover, and, and then obviously Pentecost, there in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem would like swell up like nine or ten times its normal population when these people came in from mm. all over the the world, actually, from the dispersion that happened with the, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Notice, although there are those people there in the early church, starting with the apostles, who spoke different languages to the groups who were gathered, there is no universal tongue. Because for right now, God is still keeping nations as nations. So each nation is addressed and that great event to make a point. We're moving back toward restoration. And the first example of that is the ability that God gave these apostles, disciples, to use languages they had not learned and preach to people who knew that language mm -hmm. and could take it in and hear about the wonderful works of God. There is something from the UN, I believe, called Esperanto, language that was developed uh, outside of no culture nation, and it is yet to take hold in any, <laughs> to my knowledge, in any group. It is spoken a little bit here and there in some places, but it's it's never taken hold because languages come out of a given indigenous culture. Yeah. That's the way it's going to be until Jesus comes back. So what's going to happen? Here's an interesting text from Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. Okay, so a pure language. Now, that means, first of all, their mouths have been cleansed 
from idolatry. This is the idea here, because how did we get into this confusion? Confusion is idolatry. Idolatry is confusion. One God, people united under one God, no confusion. Everyone has clarity. Everyone has the revelation. And it's assumed, of course, and many commentators assume this, that pure language means not only just that my lips no longer honor an idol, but now honor God, that the language is being restored to oneness because we're moving back again to restoration. You know, in Acts 3.21, Peter says to the uh, Jews there, second big sermon in the book of Acts, that uh, the heavens must receive Jesus until the times of restoration come Mm -hmm. to pass that all the holy prophets have spoken about. And so that is what Zephaniah is talking about because the confusion giving people different tongues and therefore different nations was a result of an idolatrous rebellion against God. Once that has finally been removed, we go back to God's plan originally, and it's coming to pass. Interesting, one of the things I've speculated on over the years is like in Revelation chapter 7, we have a picture of a whole multitude of people seen in heaven. And John is looking at this. And he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude no one could number from every nation, and tribes of peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. What I have found out about that on meditating on it, clearly everyone understands everybody. Mm. John doesn't say, and I heard in my own tongue, that one group. He's hearing all the different nations coming together Mm. in heaven. It's inclusive. Yeah, it's inclusive. And we see the same thing in the previous chapter with um, Jesus, the lamb who has taken the scroll, who can uh, open the scroll. And John says, he concludes chapter five, I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying in unison to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So once again, if John could hear all of that from all over the universe, so that's the picture here, he understood it completely, mm. everything they were saying. So, and of course that always people want to know if you die and go to heaven, you know, won't we all be strangers? Will we know each other? And not only that, obviously with a lot of people already there, We'll all be speaking the language of God. I don't know that we'll have our our national flag out on our front porch. No, probably not. (laughs) Probably won't be doing that. No, (laughs) not at all. (laughs) Some people say, well, globalism, isn't that all about the Antichrist coming along and forming a one world government? And isn't that going to be the future? Well, let us assume for the moment it is even so. It will end the same way the Tower of Babel ended. If you remember, Randy read that back in Genesis 11, verse 8. He dispersed them, and they quit building the building. It never got finished. It was left undone. And likewise, this Antichrist, the beast of Revelation, whatever we want to call this government, it will be a short, short government, Mm. and it will come to an end with the return of Jesus. Here is a verse from uh, Revelation that exemplifies this whole matter. Uh, listen carefully to this. Revelation 15, and it's again, it's about the restoration of the, of the nations to God. Revelation 15, 1 through 4 says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, 
seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Yes, you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, and they will come in unison. They will come with one language of the Lord. And we have in the book of Revelation, the new heaven and new earth section, chapter 21, John says, I saw no temple in the city, starting at verse 22, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. And they will bring into it the glory and the honor of nations. So that is God's final picture of how globalism continues. He made nations. He's not going to change that, but they do come together in this great universal effort of giving God the glory by the time we finally get to that chapter in the book of Revelation. So, globalism doesn't work. Only God's globalism will work. Nations are always going to stay nations. Even in the world to come, there will still be nations, but they will be united as one. That is God's new world order and giving Him praise and glory. Well, thanks, Jim, and you've given us a lot to think about. And I'm sure that there are questions or comments about it. And we'd love to hear those questions and comments from you. So please send your questions and comments to eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. That's the word events, the word and, and the word expectations at gmail.com. We'll use your questions or comment wherever possible, and we will always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations. And until next time, keep looking up.